EMV is a hot topic in payments for U.S. banking institutions and retailers. Now as the U.S. ramps up its EMV deployments, security experts point to the need for additional security layers that address card risks that EMV will not mitigate. Some industry pundits have suggested the U.S. will never be fully EMV compliant, and that because EMV only addresses risks associated with card present or in-person transactions, it's not a foolproof solution. Here, Oliver Manahan, Vice President of U.S. Emerging Payments for MasterCard, explains steps card brands like MasterCard are taking to ensure that retailers and card issuers go beyond EMV and explore new methods of cardholder authentication, such as biometrics, that are forward-looking from a fraud prevention perspective. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So first, Oliver, let me say hello and thank you for joining me today. As I mentioned during the introduction, EMV is a hot topic, and as this October 2015 liability shift date for magnetic stripe fraud in card-present retail POS environments looms, there are some things that everyone's talking about. There are some other dates that have been set for self-service terminals, such as ATMs and petrol pay-at-the-pump terminals. But do you think that from an overall perspective, from a point-of-sale perspective, from a self-service perspective, that the U.S. will ever be fully EMV compliant? Uh, yes, and, and first off, uh, thanks, Tracy, for this opportunity. And yes, I, I absolutely think that the U.S. will, over time, be fully compliant with EMV, as we've seen in other markets. I mean, it is a a very complicated transition to go from you know, a magnetic stripe technology that's been used for 40 years and really only carried static data through the system to an upgrade of EMV which carries dynamic data which um, is virtually impossible to counterfeit. And it's more than just about taking a magnetic stripe card and moving it to a chip card. It's really upgrading for digital convergence. So as mobile phones are getting uh, deployed more frequently with payment capability, that's actually being based on EMV technology as well. So as you noted, there, there are sort of three upcoming dates. The first one is the point of sale liability shift date, which is set for October 2015. Then ATMs are a year out from that, October 2016, and automated fuel dispensers. So when you pay at the pump, those are set for October 2017. Now it's important to note that that's not a requirement to move as of those dates. It's simply a liability shift date whereby the party that hasn't made the investment in the more secure technology could be liable for fraud that could have been prevented by EMV. So we're not requiring anybody to make this move. It's just you know a line in the sand for constituents to make their own business decisions. Oliver, do you think that we've been talking too much about EMV at the cost of not talking about some other types of technologies such as tokenization? Should we be more concerned about tokenization than we are EMV? I don't think we've been talking too much. We, we clearly have been talking a lot, and that's required, I think, because it is you know, a fairly complicated upgrade for merchants, for processors, for issuers, etc. And at the same time, we are also talking about tokenization and things like that as well. And I always like to point out you know, that there is no one silver bullet. Tokenization is not going to cure all fraud. EMV is not going to cure all fraud. What's important is to make sure that we're layering as many different fraud prevention techniques on top of one another that makes it more and more difficult to get into the fortress, as it were. So you know, putting EMV and then doing tokenization as a logical next step makes absolute sense. There are some markets that have been migrated to EMV for over 10 years, and they're doing tokenization. We just happen to be at a point in the U.S. market where tokenization is coming to bear at the same time as EMV, so we can really address those two projects um, almost at the same time. 
So, Oliver, let's talk just a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing in the industry. Everyone is talking about this migration of fraud from the card-present retail environment to the card-not-present environment as we have this rollout of EMV. But aren't we already seeing upticks in card-not-present transactions, even with the MagStripe still being the dominant way that we conduct payments at the point of sale? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question, one that I've heard you know, a lot through the years. I, I've been working on EMV probably for far longer than, than perhaps I, I should have, but the, the exact same question was around in the UK where they saw a fairly dramatic increase in card-not-present fraud, but they measured sort of from 2004 to 2008. So a lot of people still reference that as the UK went to EMV, a more secure chip at the point of sale, but card-not-present fraud increased. And the thing that happened there was between 2004 and 2008, the e-com channel actually grew quite dramatically. So it was very small in 2004. By 2008, it's substantially larger. And of course, by 2015, it's much larger again. But what's happened in those interceding years is that the large e-com merchants, et cetera, have gotten a lot better with their own fraud analytics, risk scoring, things like that. So you know, I'll point to my own home country, which is Canada, and we've lived through an EMV migration there. We saw an uptick in card not present fraud, but nowhere near as dramatic as what the UK witnessed because uh, e-com was already a mature channel in terms of, you know, we've seen growth, but not sort of exponential growth. And as I referenced, the e-com merchants, particularly the large ones, have invested in fraud scoring and uh, neural networks and analytics and things like that. So there's been an uptick, but very minor. So we're kind of expecting the same sort of thing in the US where there may be a shift because, you know, fraudsters don't pack up their bags and go away, they look for the next logical attack point. But what we're also doing is incorporating EMV, as I've noted, into mobile phones. So not just can you tap your phone potentially at the point of sale with contactless and make a payment that way, but you can actually do an in-app payment where you could potentially authenticate yourself with a swipe or a thumbprint. And that transaction is actually using EMV technology along with cardholder authentication which really takes that transaction to a much more secure level than what we've historically experienced with e-com. So we are moving EMV security and technology into the e-com space and card not present space as well. It, it will granted take a few years, but that's certainly the direction we're looking is to secure all channels through EMV type security. Oliver, are there other migration trends that we should be bracing for as we roll out EMV in the U.S. that go beyond card not present transactions? So for instance, might we see upticks in ATM related fraud? Another good question. I think that what we're seeing in other markets and what we're seeing in the U.S. as well is, is that the large banks and the ones that control ATMs are fully aware that you know a box of cash is certainly an attack vector for criminals. So we've actually seen really good migration in terms of the ATM channel. So large issuers, ATM processors, even the smaller white label ATMs all have either done some conversions already and started that migration and have very aggressive timescales to get that done so that they want to make sure that channel is secure. It's certainly something that we've seen in other markets if they aren't upgrading ATMs in lockstep with the point of sale, then fraud will shift. But I think in the U.S. market here, we've done a really good job of taking lessons learned from other markets and ensuring that we don't either repeat those mistakes or we learn from them and do as well, if not better. In a sense, it's kind of helpful to be one of the last major countries to be migrating to, to EMV. And even with EMV deployed ATMs, with some of these new types of attacks that we've seen that are actually network attacks that were similar to some of the network attacks that we saw waged against point-of-sale systems and some of the larger retail compromises, 
Do you think that banking institutions are prepared there? Could they possibly see some increases in those types of attacks as we lock down the actual card reader? You know, one of the benefits of EMB there is that if there is an attack and if they get data, the data has now gone from static data that was always the same, always consistent on a magnetic stripe to EMV data where it actually generates a dynamic cryptogram per transaction. So if you try to take that data and replay it, the issuer will know immediately that that was taken from a card that was already used with that dynamic token or dynamic cryptogram so that they will be able to decline the transaction. So it, it's really one of those instances, and, and I know, again, coming from Canada where we really haven't seen the sort of account data compromises that we've seen in other markets because the value of the data is significantly less to criminals in an EMV market than it is in the magnetic strike market. So as the U.S. adopts EMV, I think we'll see you know, the term all uh, boats rise with the water. I think it will become more and more difficult to actually get useful data from account data compromises that you can use anywhere because there are going to be more and more locations that accept EMV data. And if you try to use either magnetic stripe data or copied chip data, the issuer will automatically know that that was a, an attempt at a fraudulent transaction be able to decline. Oliver, earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned some of the areas that MasterCard is focused on as well as some of the other card brands when it comes to strengthening some of the authentication methods that are being used by banking institutions and retailers. How are the card brands addressing some of these emerging risks that are related to authenticating the cardholder? And what is your take on biometrics? I think it's a really exciting area. You're probably quite aware of what Apple's doing with Touch ID already and what Samsung's doing with their biometric capabilities. So it's really, you know, in the past, a signature was what it was. Perhaps hundreds of years ago, there was value to it, and potentially there's still value to some people. But I think a PIN is something that, you know, is, is sort of per cardholder. So I would have my specific PIN, and perhaps I set that across a number of payment instruments because I can't remember a separate PIN for multiple cards or multiple payment instruments. When it comes to biometrics, it's actually the device itself saying, yes, this is the authentic cardholder, and it will pass a data element, and it will make it part of that cryptographic data to say to the issuer, Oliver actually has authenticated himself to that device. It's a very trustworthy device. It was actually done in a secure element or is done with some other sort of secure mechanism within the mobile phone to pass that data along. But I was actually at a conference a couple weeks ago where there are all sorts of other types of biometrics, and I can't provide great insight as to how they may pan out in the future, but there's one in particular that's being tested out where it's a wristband that actually monitors your heart rate, and apparently your EKG, every single person has their own unique signature. So it's, it's again, a biometric. So you know, potentially then the heartbeat can be used as something that is a biometric that if that wristband gets removed from me, the biometric won't authenticate. There's not much else I need to do, and the issuer is virtually assured that it really was me using that payment instrument. So I think there's going to be all sorts of interesting trends that, that come out in that area. So what will be important for MasterCard as a brand to do is to ensure that we've done due diligence on the security and whether or not there are attack vectors to try to get in and fool the system things like that. But what we've seen so far is, I think, been very exciting and probably much better from a user experience perspective than having to remember either one pin or multiple pins or having different ways of authenticating yourself if you can get to a more natural experience that still holds a very high degree of certainty to the issuer for authenticating that cardholder. 
It's a good point, Oliver, because a lot of what I've been hearing about in the industry is the need to remove the user from the authentication process. So anything that you can do on the back end with analytics or by the use of biometrics, such as the heartbeat, which you mentioned is, is a fascinating one, it really doesn't involve the user to do anything but just be present. Exactly, yep. And so then what does MasterCard's take or your take, Oliver, on the use of behavioral analytics, some of these back-end analytics that would help to determine whether or not the cardholder is actually who he or she says she is? Um, I think that was actually one of the first sort of layers of security that we ever put into the network, either from a MasterCard brand perspective, and we continue to invest in that because the more data you have, the more you can analyze it, the better decisioning you can make. And issuers have done the exact same thing. So that a very obvious one is if I do a transaction in New York uh, one day and five minutes later a transaction shows up in Japan, it's very unlikely that I was actually present for both of those transactions if it was a card present merchant. Now you start digging into layers and layers and terabytes of data to all the things you can analyze about my patterns and things like that, how I spend and when I spend and why I spend. You know, it can still be a chip card, it can be tokenized, but if there's some person that's, you know, being able to figure out how to get my mobile phone and, you know, spoof my thumbprint or, you know, hopefully not cut off my thumb or something like that, the, the issuer and MasterCard can still look at that transaction and say there's something not right about this. So I think that the whole analytics space is one that some people think about EMV and tokenization, say, oh, we have to worry, or we can invest less in that or worry less about the the analytics and all the neural networks and things like that. And I would submit that it is simply, you know, another layer and probably one of the first ones that, that we've ever employed in terms of reducing fraud. And it's one that we continue to need, need to invest in because, as I noted earlier, you know, we're doing a number of things and, and we're, I think we're doing them very well in terms of uh, reducing fraud and reducing the risk in the system. But the criminals will continue to try to attack and, and neural networks are a great way of trying to uncover you know, new attack vectors and things that they're trying to, trying to perpetrate. And then Oliver, before we close, what would you say are the key takeaways for card issuers who are frustrated that retailers are just not doing enough to secure their own point of sale devices and systems? Well, I think it's a very difficult question. I mean, merchants and issuers both have a fairly large investment to make. And in some cases, it's simply, you know, a small mom and pop shop that is going to get a new device and they're going to plug it in. And it's, it's a fairly straightforward implementation for them. When you get to the, the larger scale merchants, you know, they have to think about what the impact is to their network, what their impact is to training all of their cashiers across their enterprise and things like that. So I think the merchants are working diligently at it, but it's also a question of, and and I like to emphasize this point because EMV has always talked about in the context of reducing fraud, but we have to think about it as well from the perspective that most of the point of sale devices in the market right now are between seven and eight years old. So if you think about the equipment that was seven or eight years old, it might have a two-line display with 16 characters each, where you're now moving to perhaps a large screen display that can do interactive video that is much more interactive with the customer. So as you're doing the migration to the point of sale, it shouldn't just be about thinking about fraud reduction. It should be thinking about, am I going to accept contactless payments? Will I accept mobile payments at the same time? I'm upgrading the experience that I can share with my customer at the point of sale. So the merchant has all of these things to think about while they're doing their migration, not just I need to put a chip reader in to be able to accept the new card. You know, they've got a, a big job to do and I think they're doing it well and they're doing it properly in terms of thinking about all these other things. I would hate for any merchant to go through this and say, yeah, we did the bare minimum, we put in a chip reader and yes, we're seeing reduced fraud and that's great, but 
why didn't anyone tell me about contactless? Why didn't anyone tell me about mobile payments? Why didn't anyone tell me about these new screens that I can do all sorts of cool loyalty schemes with and things like that? So I think by and large the merchants are doing that. So if there's any frustration in the system, I think it's just because they're looking at this and looking to do it properly from an enterprise perspective. Oliver, I'd like to thank you again for your time. Very helpful. That yeah, was my pleasure, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Oliver Manahan of MasterCard. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.